This is April 13th, year 2006, and it's an ontologue invited speaker presentation session. Uh, today we have uh, pleasure, our pleasure in uh, having Dr. Denise Bedford from the World Bank to speak to us. Uh, her topic for the day is Strategy for Developing an Ontology. The first steps. Um, Denise is a senior information officer at the World Bank, and her work there includes managing the World Bank Group's thesaurus and the development of the bank's core metadata strategy that supports bank metadata, as well as leading the enterprise search, automated metadata capture, and various other projects. Her current interests include multilingual information architectures, semantic analysis technologies, computational linguistics, and knowledge e economics. Denise has an illustrious academic and career history, uh, which includes her triple major bachelor, two master's degree, and a PhD degree from places like University of Michigan and UC Berkeley, and her being on the adjunct faculty of Georgetown University and the Catholic University of America now. Uh, before joining the World Bank, Denise has been with the UC system, Stanford, Intel, and NASA, to name a few. And uh, she used to be on the board of trustees of the Dublin Core uh, Metadata Initiative. And she is the, uh, now on the board of directors for the Networked Digital Library of Thesis and Dissertations, uh, on the board of the Federal CIO Council's Knowledge Management Working Group, and others. Among her affiliations, uh, she is a senior fellow of the Montague Institute and an expert speaker for the U.S. Department of State. Uh, she is also a member of this community, the ontologue community. So let's welcome Denise. Uh, all yours, Denise. Thank you. I, I, I have the slides up in so people uh, who are on the VNC shared screen will will be able to uh, see the slides as they are advanced. Uh, Denise will prompt everyone else uh, to advance their own slides if you're running uh, your slides uh, from your own desktop. Uh, does anybody have trouble getting the slides? If not, then let's Denise, okay. sorry. Thank you, Peter. Um, I, uh, I think as we were saying just a minute ago, the, um, when Peter asked um, a group of us to put, some, put together some sessions on an ontology for the ontologue um, community, um, I thought that the contribution I might be able to make was to put together a framework and an approach. Um, the, you will not actually see um, the, a, a World Bank ontology per se, you may see parts of it today, but um, what I'm going to try to talk about is a strategy for developing an ontology, one that we followed. Um, it took us a couple of years, I shouldn't, uh, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that this is something that you can do in a month. On the other hand, it's not the, uh, not all organizations have to take the approach say that the bank might take or another large organization might take because it is just a large organization with a lot of content and a lot of dimensions. Okay. So may I ask you to go to slide two, please? So the primary purpose of the presentation today is to establish a framework for developing an policy that will focus on the current and future content of the ontologue community. It will support a range of uses of the ontologue and ontologue reference content by ontologue members and non-members. Um, also to provide a sustainable foundation for future variations in content use and users and a foundation that's extensible so that we don't have to radically re-engineer an ontology. Um, also to provide a framework against which a basic set of functional architecture requirements can be defined. Um, 
um, one of the members of the community, when we started talking about the strategy, said, but we're going to have to have some sort of functional architecture to support this. And he was exactly correct. So um, we hopefully the framework will give us a sense of what we need there. Um, also to provide a framework against which various semantic technologies might be positioned to support Ontolog. And I think that um, Michael Maximilian is going to take up this discussion in um, a, well, we'll have some discussion next week, but also he's going to pick some of this up in June. Slide three, please. Um, a secondary purpose of the presentation today, and I hope the, the effort that Peter has organized, is to maybe provide a basis for a case study in collaborative practice domain ontology development and management. Um, I think what I've heard in many of the presentations is that we're we're working we're we showcase the systems that have been developed, but we don't necessarily talk about how we got from point A to point C. So hopefully we can document along the way how we're developing this ontology for Ontolog. Also, we might have an opportunity along the way to look at some of the different ontology reference models and figure out which one is going to work best for us or how we might be able to um, exchange information across the models. And if the group wishes along the way also to provide the community with guidance in positioning semantic solutions vis-a-vis -vis specific semantic problems because my sense is that there are many different semantic solutions out there and they don't all solve the same semantic problem. Okay, slide three please. The goal today is not to advocate, I'm, oh I'm sorry, four. The goal today is not to advocate one particular semantic approach over others because they all serve a good and different purpose. It's not to provide a survey of or evaluate individual technologies. Um, it's also not to suggest that any one person has a solution that works for everyone. So I, I hope I can keep stressing throughout that this is a strategy that you should adapt um, if it seems if, if parts of it might work for you. Okay, so slide five, please. I found that um, if you're going to start developing an ontology, you need to have an anchor. Um, so how would we anchor the ontology for Ontolog? Where do we start? How do we know if we need one ontology or many? How do we know if we need to create one or if we can borrow or adapt one from somebody else? I find that it, if you take as a starting point the, the content, who's going what, to, what is going to be what the, the ontology is going to be applied to. And when I say content, I mean content in a very, very broad sense, meaning the people who participate in the, the ontolog community, the forums, the discussions, the standards, everything. Who's going to use that um, content? It may be people who are, belong to the community. It may be people who are finding the community um, when they're looking for something. And then how they're going to use it, because how it's going to be used really drives a lot of what the requirements are. Okay, so let's go to slide six. So just a simple view of a context for um, developing an ontolog ontology, or I think maybe for any ontology. Okay, slide seven. Okay, so let's think a little bit about users. And I know this may seem very elementary to some of you, but I think if you'll um, walk through this with me, you'll see how we come to a fairly full picture of what we need the ontology to do for us. If we think about users, um, we need to make sure that um, we all have the same goals for the ontolog ontology. What I think I've noticed in some of our discussions in the last couple of months is that we all are coming at this from a different use perspective. So I might have different goals than another person. Um, should we, um, are, are we intending to support only Ontolog active members or are we going to support the general public's use? Um, are we assuming that only Ontolog sophisticates will be served by the ontology or are we also thinking about administrators, managers, novices, and the general public? That has the, the decision there or the, the 
the final result there has a lot to do with determining the range of semantic problems that we end up having to solve. Because all of those people have different levels of knowledge and they talk about the semantic, they talk about ontologies in different ways. So, okay, so I, I did some brainstorming and just thought that we might have um, ontolog members like Peter who are very sophisticated in terms of their knowledge of ontologies. They have a lot of knowledge of the wiki. Um, we might have some people who are researchers who have backgrounds maybe in computational linguistics but not in um, computer science engineering. Um, we might also have a number of people who have a really strong background in standards development, but maybe I don't know so much about the standards. We have people, I'm hoping we have people joining us who have backgrounds in metadata or taxonomies or information architecture or semantic technologies. So I think our community is probably pretty diverse in terms of it, the way it talks about or thinks about or looks for things. Okay, slide nine, please. So it's challenging for people who are so familiar with ontology development and semantic technologies to step back and think about how an ontology would actually support our use of the content. But this is a really important step because without an understanding of the use and the context, we can't really come up with a baseline that's going to serve a wide range of issues in the future. So um, I came up with um, a couple of tables um, from some of the things I saw discussed in the ontology discussion spaces um, and just from looking at the content myself. Okay, so slide 10, please. So some possible uses of the ontolog content. A person um, wants to find a person who knows something about an issue. Maybe I want to find somebody who knows something about topic maps. Okay. How am I going to use, how will an ontology for ontolog help me to do that? I might want to browse issues that the ontolog has discussed. Okay. I might want to find all the people who have participated in the discussion. I might want to learn about reference models discussed by ontolog. I might want to get a list of the problems ontolog identified that need attention or research focus. I might want to browse all of the collections um, by topic. I might want to look for future conference call topics. Um, slide 11, please. I might want to search for the next scheduled call, which it seems like I'm always having to do and not doing very well. Um, I might want to search for a specific email message. Um, we've had a number of people providing references to good um, books or articles lately. So that would, it would be really helpful to me if we had a way to just find all of that information without necessarily having to go back in through the emails. Um, I might want to find a list of all the members of Ontolog. Okay? That may be pretty easy already. I might want to find a specific member, but I don't remember their full name. Okay? And I might want to find references to ontology standards or organizations working in this area. Okay. Slide 12 is, um, provides some um, other, maybe higher level uh, uses. Maybe we want to generate a knowledge map of who knows what in ontologies. Or maybe we want to do a social networking view of the communications in ontolog. Um, so we may have to have, our ontology might have to support that. Okay, slide 13, please. So let's do a simple exercise of defining the kinds of content that the ontology has to cover. This may seem like the easiest component to define, although a lot of the content is not as obvious as we might think. When we began our work with semantic technologies uh, about five years ago, we started from a content model perspective. So all of the content types have data models, or we some members of the, the group that I belong to are working on this. And I think this would help us to understand the difference between concepts, because frequently when we talk about ontologies, we're only talking about words. But for us, there are there's overlap between the concepts and the actual instances. 
So slide number 14 um, is actually an example of a content model. Okay, so let's look at slide 14. It's, I apologize, it's a little hard to read the fine print. Um, so you might have an event. So let's take as an event um, an Ontolog weekly call. So what are the components of that um, call, the actual elements of it? And it might also have metadata, et cetera, but we're actually trying to model the content, look at the components of it, and then begin to look at the semantic problems that we have at that data model level. Okay. May I stop and ask the group, am I making sense so far, or are there issues or questions that anybody has? I think this sounds great. Okay. All right. Okay, slide number 15. So here's a cut at the um, kinds of content that I've found just quickly looking through the Ontolog um, wiki. We have people um, who might, people profiles and pages. We have presentations, discussion threads. We have concepts or ideas about ontologies. We have maybe an activity calendar. We have conference call notes, agendas, minutes, transcripts. We have email messages, threads. Maybe we uh, we may also have search logs. Um, we have professional conference schedules and announcements, representation, who's representing us at which conference. We have um, references to books on ontology topics, published articles, reviews, maybe ontology standards, professional organizations, etc. So the the wiki um, is nice and simply organized, but there's a lot of there's a very rich content there. Okay. Um, slide 20, please. So I would say that having looked at did you say 20? I'm sorry. The next slide is 16. 16, and I'm no problem. I'm probably a very good test case for an ontology development because I'm so scatterbrained. <laughs> Okay, slide 16. Um, you actually, I think, begin to have a sense of an architecture. Maybe this is a conceptual architecture for an ontology, um, looking at those three dimensions. So you might actually have a content entity, which has a definition. It might have elements, and it actually has content. You might also have a content model for that entity, and you might have metadata for it. There is a user of the content, and the content could be a user, an actual person, or it could be a model. Okay? The user might have a profile, and there is a context for use. Okay? Um, there, um, we are looking at like business rules, um, and I think some of the work that, say, Doug Lynette has done in terms of defining axioms might fit into the rule category. Um, what some people typically think of as ontologies might be over on the far left. You might have an ontolog topic class scheme. You might have authority control for the member names. Am I D. Bedford? Am I Denise Bedford? Um, am I Denise A. D. Bedford, etc. Um, you might have a thesaurus of ontolog concepts, areas of expertise. Maybe you need to have the same level of, of, um, of control over organization names as well. Okay, slide 17, please. So we start to see from an, like a conceptual model of an ontology the functional requirements. And I think that Nicholas began to mention um, this level of support. And I think that discussion will take place in next week and in the future. We begin to see that basically we may need a metadata scheme. We may need different kinds of taxonomies. We may need semantic analysis tools. We may need a metadata encoding option. Are we going to, once we have our schema, do we decide to put it into XML, RDF, et cetera, for storage and encoding? Are, where are we going to store this? Are we going to embed it in the documents? Are we going to have a distinct database? We need a search system because a lot of that use, either it was explicitly search-oriented or there was an implicit search action there. Browse, reporting, data mining, clustering, and a 
other more sophisticated inference and reasoning options that obviously would be in the future, but um, they uh, people would want to have that, that capability. Slide 18, please. Um, the um, metadata scheme, I'll just do a sidebar here on the metadata scheme. The scheme schema should probably cover all kinds of content that the group identifies. We would need to identify at least the basic attributes of the content, and I would highly suggest we keep it simple and very um, oriented to the purpose, of the use purpose, targeting it to use and users. And starting out simply and small, but always keeping in mind that we want to grow this in different dimensions. Um, I think we should discuss which attributes need to be managed and which not managed. Um, some concepts, maybe we decide concepts we will not manage. They will simply be contributed by everyone. But we may not want. We also may want to have some kind of a topic scheme. I think it's important here to keep the horse in front of the cart. What needs to be managed needs to be analyzed in terms of its data structures, syntax, and semantics before we can specify the type of ontology that's needed to support it. Okay. All right. Slide 19. Just an example of how you might bring in different kinds of taxonomies if you anchor things on a metadata scheme. Looking at the center of this structure, if you think about metadata as a star structure, each of the nodes around the, the center are attributes or aspects of whatever it is we're putting in the center. So if you put a person in the center or a conference call in the center, et cetera, what is around the outside are the, um, are the aspects of it. Different aspects would be controlled or managed by different kinds of structures as well, data structures. This is where I think the, the issue of what kind of, a, what kind of, depending on what you mean by an ontology, if you mean the whole structure, the whole conceptual structure, or you mean basically um, each one of these individual structures. Okay. Okay. Um, slide 20, please. Okay. So just an idea about some of the attributes and the semantic challenges we face there and some possible solutions. This is just um, some suggestions to get the group thinking about it. So we might have people names, institution names, organization names. We're going to have variations in those. So maybe we can use concept extraction to do some harmonization of those. So regardless of whether or not you, um, I've entered partial name or full name, you could still find um, anything you needed from that I had contributed. Um, ontolog topics, um, we would need, in that case, probably to distill the topics of interest from the group. And then we could automate that through categorization. Um, ontolog concepts, here we really need to make sure we have a breadth of coverage and that we capture the variations. So here, maybe we could use concept extraction or harmonization through clustering. People skills and competencies, um, meaning um, there, I should probably have said this, areas of expertise. Um, we can distill a list and maintain it. Again, maybe using categorization here. You could do the same thing with domain knowledge. Okay. Well, to, forgive me for interrupting. <coughs> we're, getting, we're getting an awful lot of background noise. Someone's handset is moving around quite a bit. So if the uh, people who aren't speaking could go on mute, that would be helpful. Okay. Let, let me know if it continues. Okay. All right. Slide 21. Um, well, is this a good place to stop and just ask if people have questions or if it's making sense so far? I have a little question. Um, in the previous slide, you mentioned uh, concepts and topics. Mm -hmm. Would you mind uh, giving an example of one that is one and it's not the other and vice versa? That's a good question. Can I ask you to go back to um, slide number 19? It'll be a little bit easier to... Um, there are two ideas. One, and whatever words, um, 
make sense to you to distinguish between these two. Um, I think about a concept as, say, the idea of, um, say, let's just say a, a, a water pipeline um, or a, a well, well drilling. To me, that's a concept. The idea of water supply and sanitation as a general classification would be a topic. So I should have probably said concepts versus classes. So if you think about a class as a way of grouping a lot of information into one bucket versus concepts as a specific idea that might be in something that's in a class. So a concept, a concept is, a, is an instance of a topic? Um, no, it's a, it's a finer level of granularity. It's an idea. Can you, can you give an example in the context of Ontolog itself? Now, that's going to be a challenge. Let's <laughs> <see>. <laughs> or anybody else who wants to, to make a suggestion. Let's see. Um, uh, let's One of the things I was thinking, this is Pat Heinig, that there's probably a set of concepts, although I think a very small set, that belong to Ontolog, the, I want to say, entity or phenomenon. Um, just because of, of, of how it came into being. Uh, I was looking at versus ontology concepts, which get housed inside of you know, the uh, structure of discourse. So, you know, there may be some very particular things within ontolog, like its uh, charter or its philosophy or something that has very unique conceptual um, identities. Um, but that, you know, we, we're, we're kind of a meta-system. We're talking about ontology, and ontologies talk about lots of other things. So we're, uh, we're kind of meta, 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 I guess. That's an excellent example. And in fact, one of the things I did was to, as a, as a test, was I went through, this must have been about a month ago, I went through and captured as much content as I could from the wiki and just stored it, you know, as text files. And then I ran concept extraction across everything just to see what would come up. And those are exactly the kinds of concepts that came up. What means concepts extraction? Um, concept extraction is, um, let's see, um, let me look at the slides for a minute and tell you where to jump to. Um, Actually, can I ask you if I can answer that question progressively? I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm just trying to drill in at, at, in at a personal level. Sorry, this okay. is Jack Park. I, I think in terms of topic maps, and I don't want to uh -huh. make everybody angry, but I'm, I'm trying to understand why it is that concepts are different from topics. Okay, and, and, and that's okay. a very good question. Can, can, can I take a crack at that? Sure. Maybe, maybe, I mean, there, there are concepts, I mean, from, from an ontological point of view, I mean, let's say concepts that are captured mainly in upper ontologies, for example, concepts in terms of time, uh, for time. I mean, those are concepts that need to be captured, but it does not necessarily have to be an ontological to topic. We don't discuss time, but we definitely use the concept of time in terms of, let's say, uh, scheduling or in, in the searches relating to, to, to events and so on. Uh, but, but then we still have to capture in our ontology what we mean by time before we can even do those. The, the, let's say the ontological topic would be a scheduled discussion session where a concept of time is used, but, but it's not a topic that is of interest, in, of particular interest uh, in, this partic uh, in the, in the ontologue's domain. Uh, does that sort of uh, get close to the type of answers? That uh, makes sense to me. One of the things I heard you saying, this is Pat, and I, I've been going through this discussion with some other people about the difference between, quote, a framework and a reference model and kind of trying to understand the relationship. And concept seems to be a very, very wide kind of, almost like a DNA, some innateness that um, a topic could possess or many things could possess. Um, the concept, you know, although maybe... Uh, multiple part is kind of like an atom in some ways, making it somewhat unique from another another thing. But it, this is 
this is tough, and it's a lot of this semantic interoperability that makes it sometimes hard for us all to engage in this. Yeah. So. Maybe um, from my simple perspective today, if we thought about uh, the concept extraction, um, if you think about a concept extraction as a grammatical entity, say, um, uh, what's, an, what's a simple example? Um, um, just a water pipeline. And I'm simply finding that noun phrase in content. So, and I'm identifying it as a grammatical noun phrase, as a grammatical element, and I'm extracting it. That's how I'm thinking about concepts here, very, very simply. I'm happy I'm going to punch offline and keep listening. Um, please continue to, to uh, I'm not speak, going up with, speak up with the questions. Though. I'm, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to mute my phone. That's what I meant. Okay. The question was very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question, this is Evan. Um, so that sounds like an IR information retrieval notion of concept. Is that right? Or If you start to think of um, the transition that I'm trying to make here is to the semantic technologies. So I think that I'm trying to put a lot in terms of approach in this presentation today. Mm -hmm. So I may have made a jump here, um, but I think we have, um, I'm getting an idea that, that the idea of discussing concepts and topics and other sort of aspects of the ontolog content is, is something we need to do and work out. Um, if you were to take, um, if you were to discover that we do indeed need ontolog concepts um, as an aspect of the content, then there are semantic technologies that could help us discover that. Does that make sense? Okay. Can, I, can I say something naive? This is Arturo Sanchez again. Um, since we're trying to understand concepts and, and you just introduce another one, which is aspects. So uh, in general, then you're, we're using different words that are highly overloaded and different uh, fields might have different meanings, which can elicit you know, different semantics to different people. Uh, so is it possible to build a small uh, dictionary of terms as we evolve so we understand what we're talking about with literary examples? Perfect. In fact, that is exactly what we should be doing. As, as we go through and do the modeling, if you choose to do the modeling, then creating that data dictionary yes, yes. is absolutely critical. Yes. Great. Yes. Thank you. And I think something that's germane to that, because I think the dimension that we just hit there is very much about this sort of expressiveness, and I'm reminded of the Leo Oberst uh, talk when he provided his ontology or his semantic spectrum, uh, and it seems like we have all of those issues, uh, talking about where taxonomies weak and strong belong, and we would end up probably with some kind of content organization, a thesaurus to help us um, uh, compute sameness or likeness, uh, things like that. I think that... Uh, uh, maybe that's what we're talking about, the semantic technologies coming in. There may be many different dimensions by which we try to clarify the, the semantics here. I, I appreciate that comment so much because that's, that's basically what I was trying to say today. And I like your interpretation of that progressive presentation of the different um, um, technologies because I don't think it's not a progression we shouldn't read it as a progression of if you take this one, then you move to this one, et cetera. They all have to be in the picture. Yep. Okay. If I can ask you to look at slide 22, I'm just going to now jump to show you how we're using one semantic um, analysis tool um, to categorize <coughs> content. Um, so... Um, we, in, um, a couple of years ago, adopted an automated solution for tagging content and all kinds of content. So this is now operational in some of our systems. So I'm going to take one of those aspects, topic, um, and show you basically how we build um, the tool 
um, to support the automated um, classification. Okay, so um, just a quick um, description on slide 23 of the tool that we're using. There are many tools out there that you can use. We just happen to be using one called Teragram. Um, it, it's a set of semantic analysis tools which supports concept extraction, categorization, summarization, I forgot to add in here also clustering, or Bayesian modeling, and pattern matching. Um, it works in 23 languages, which I think it actually it's more now, which was very important to us because there was a, that meant there were underlying semantic engines in, in more than just English. Okay, so let's look at slide number 24. I'm going to show you, and again, just the caution that our infrastructure is probably a little bit more robust than um, others need to be. So I'm not advocating this structure. We are using the Oracle data classes to represent, say, our topic classification scheme. So it's a hierarchical taxonomy. Um, basically building classes. If you look at slide 25, you'll see on the left, these are, this is the top level, agricultural conflict and development, culture and development, etc. On the right, the three data classes that we use to basically construct it. Slide 26 just shows some expansion of that, specifically looking at transport. Um, we have the second level classes coming in here. We needed to build the structure in this way rather than a, a thesaurus type hierarchy because we have different applications that come in at, say, level two, others that come in at level three to consume and use the resources. So we can't bundle it as a simple, um, say, um, inheritance model. Okay? It has to be built from relationships and defined data classes. Okay, um, slide number 27. Um, this may give you a, a sense of how we use, how we differentiate between what is a topic and what is a concept. On the left-hand side, you will see that I've highlighted under agriculture, livestock, and animal husbandry. And on the right-hand side, you will see that there are about 3,000 terms, or 3,000 what we would call concepts. Anything that somebody who, who is an expert or a novice or anybody who talks about livestock and animal husbandry, the, the, the domain vocabulary um, for that domain is on the right-hand side. So basically when the tools are semantically analyzing content, whether it's an article, a profile of a person, etc., um, it's it's trying to think like a person who knows the domain. So we build, um, we built about half a million terms into this structure. There are, I think, are about a thousand topics, subtopics, and sub-subtopics. So this represents our domain knowledge. Okay. Slide number 28. Um, the other thing that we find helpful is that we are able with the extensive operators that we have here, we can not only write grammatical rules to identify concepts and, and extract them, but we can also contextualize them. So um, uh, a lot of the ambiguity that we find in just plain uh, full text, we're able to manage to some extent here. And I must say that there's, there's so many capabilities here, we're just beginning to learn them. I think we've only worked with a couple of these. Um, but even before you begin to work with those, the idea is to understand the problem before you apply a tool to solve it. Um, slide 29, um, if we're trying to capture things like URLs or phone numbers or email addresses, again, there's pattern matching software that um, can help us to do that. And we're using that pattern matching to basically um, capture mm -hmm. project ID, ISSN, et cetera. Okay. Slide number 30 um, just shows you um, how... Oh, did somebody have a question? Let's get back to that. I'm Sorry. Um, on slide number 30, um, you'll see that we've taken information from gazetteers that might have, say, variations in the
country name for Armenia over time and brought them in, uh, harmonized them so that all of the variations of the name are always output to whatever we find in the content is harmonized to a standard form. It's just one part of the problem, but it does help us to manage some of the variations. Slide 31 is, um, actually these are the rules for say a loan or credit number. Very simple rules, but we're able to do most of all this with a single, with a set of tools in one interface. Okay, slide 32. Um, we've been working at this here for probably about five years. I've been working with these tools for probably about 15 years now. Um, the one thing I have learned is that not all of the tools that are out there will do what I've been describing here. So as we look at the tools, um, we might want to try to position what they do in relation to the semantic problem that we're trying to solve. Um, so what I was just describing, you really have to have a semantic engine for most of that. I don't know that our content needs to be in multiple languages, so that may not be an issue for us. Um, it was for the Ontolog group. It was an issue for the bank. Um, and we wanted to have a user-friendly interface because um, I, although I have struggled through programming classes, I'm nowhere near a programmer, so it would not, they would not let me near um, any um, uh, interface where I had to write the code. So, um, and for, I think probably most of the people in Ontolog are familiar with how semantic analysis works, but just in case there wasn't someone, um, I included a slide number, slide number 33, and I think I actually borrowed this slide from a gentleman named Roy Bird. Um, at IBM. Many years ago, we worked together on a, on a uh, program, and I thought his slide was um, very, very easy to understand. So basically, just grammatical decomposition of a sentence. In this case, we're talking about text data. We're not talking about digital or um, digital audio or digital video. Um, there are different ways to use the semantics to resolve the technologies to resolve semantic problems there. Um, slide number 34, after Teragram does semantic analysis, then the profile that I just showed you is overlaid on top of um, the decomposition and what, we've, what we're asking it to generate for us is basically defined in the profile. We have um, on slide 35, and I think we're getting very close to the end here. Um, I've just given you a high-level view of um, we've developed an enterprise metadata profile, which allows us to capture these different kinds of in, um, metadata values. Um, not every application wants all of those, so you can actually um, we, we've developed one profile for for attribute, so then you can combine attributes into a profile without having to recreate. Um, and this does help across the organization, or it will in the future, help with um, semantic variations because we're trying to get a handle on the variations before they make their way into basically anything like metadata um, schema. And um, so the, the slide 36 is basically um, thinking about how we might use anything here to frame the discussion for uh, the Ontolog community going forward. I think next week we're going to have a panel of speakers who will talk about different aspects of what we've tried to frame today. And um, at this point, I think I'm leaving about half an hour for a discussion. So, Peter, I will turn this back over to you. Okay. Thank you very much, Denise. That's very enlightening. Uh, so, uh, let's see how how many let's line people up uh, because we can't see each other. Uh, could you identify yourself if you have a question, and then we we can sort of take them one at a time. <laughs> just 
say, uh, tell us your name, and then uh, don't don't ask the question yet. Arturo Sanchez. Uh, Arturo. Yes. Uh, I have one too. I'm Peter. Uh, anyone else? Okay, uh, Arturo, go ahead. Thank you, Peter. Um, I like the approach of uh, trying to identify different stakeholders and their needs. Um, and my view of the presentation is that at some point then started to kind of converge to what um, you do at the World Bank, which is okay. I mean, everybody does that, try to relate the new problem to the problem already solved. So one of the things that I would suggest, or two things that I would suggest to be, to be quick, one, try not to tackle the whole problem up front, but, but instead try to tackle small problem and see if we can incrementally attach to those uh, smaller problems to make bigger problems. Kind of from the software development perspective, you know, the waterfall approach versus doing it incrementally. And the second is that uh, another thing that is, is quite complex is uh, how to uh, do the modeling in such a way that it could uh, evolve easily. So there will be issues connected to uh, modeling, such as what what uh, the speaker was mentioning, concepts, topics, etc. But then there has to be also uh, constructs that allow constructions that allow us to extend those. So if, if, if I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with a very simple example. So if I'm trying to uh, model, say, directed graphs, so an important concept obviously are uh, the nodes and the arcs. But another important concept is what if I come up with uh, labels on on the edges? How do I model that? So those are my two comments. I think the first is an excellent suggestion. I think that's the only way it can move forward. Yeah. And I, I, I like the second suggestion, too. Yeah, I agree with the, the first one, especially with a group like us. I mean, it's not a sort of paid team to be developing something on a specific uh, schedule and budget and, and, and time project, but rather a, a, a group uh, effort uh, from sort of a very wide variety of uh, membership and membership expertise. Yeah. Thank you very much. Is that relevant to that, Peter? This is about um, break off first. I, th I think a kind of a user community map here a little bit, which was uh, which would allow us to maybe pick um, a segment. So which may be defining a lot of the issues that pertain to the others. Um, maybe maybe <laughs> we stay home and we say, let's look at what the analog user is, is after. I mean, we've got a, almost a lot, of, a lot of use case right there that would something about what the user might want. Um, maybe we have a little bit of a framework already for that then. Yes. Peter here, I, I have... Uh, a, a question. I mean, just out of curiosity, on the, I mean, the uh, for Denise, Denise, the the project you showed. I mean, obviously, it's it's very elaborate, uh, highly sophisticated. What? How large a team do you have to work on something like that? Oh boy, you know how to hit my pain point. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough, uh, right? <laughs> the answer. <laughs> Let's see. Um, the group that I work in, which is the, we call it the information quality group, um, we have one person doing the models full time. Um, we have another person working on the corporate data model from like the business process perspective. Um, and there are three of us who work part, part of our time. Um, there's probably one whole person. Um, doing the semantic analysis. Um, so um, it's our whole team is, is I think seven people. Oh, wow. um, so um, it's um, as I said we've worked, we've been working on this a few years, but the important thing is to try, as Arturo said, to do it incrementally so that you are always trying to build on what you've done 
um, and that it is all sustainable. We do not have a large team. No. Of course, over the course of a few years, uh, the capabilities of the tools have changed tremendously. Uh, uh, do you work closely with your vendor so that I mean, you are actually sort of co-developing co the tool, or are you just using capabilities that becomes available? That's a very good question. Um, we knew um, what capabilities we wanted. Um, early on, but you are absolutely right. We waited until we found at least a handful of the tools out there before we went out with any kind of a procurement. But you are also right. We, we wanted something that we could adapt. So um, while we use the Teragram TK240 client out of the box to do our development work, our outputs um, are all custom developed in-house. And again, I have um, uh, two part-time FTEs doing all of that. We would really like to have Teragram adopt the customization that we've done and just roll it back into the product. We, we're not really able to do co-development with a vendor, but if we can do something ourselves in-house, then we can give it back to the vendor. So. I have a question that Peter's done with his. I'm done. Um, it just occurred to me Could that you, uh, identify yourself? I'm sorry, this is Pat Heinig. <clears throat> that um, for whatever, um, however we approach this in terms of volunteers or committees or um, break the work up, eventually we'll, we'll, we will arrive at a point in which we will need uh, some of our own our own content analysis across the corpus of whatever whatever we have, which is actually. Um, a lot of what's in the wiki and all the other sort of white spaces we said that that surrounds that. Um, will we have a problem at that point tackling just the logistics of that I'm sure this, this expensive piece of software or maybe it's not. Will, will we be up against that also? We're missing part of your content. Oh, something got real fuzzy here. I don't know if it uh, went out. I'm on speakerphone. Did it break up, Peter? It did. I mean, it was like blank. Might, might I, could, I could hear you, but I don't know if everybody could. Uh, it might be this line. I, I Let me try to rephrase then. It, it was all about will we approach it. Also need some real tools to do extraction of concepts and content, other things we're trying to categorize. Can, may I take yes. a step at that? Um, I think that would be an excellent idea, especially if we could find open source tools or, or take open source tools and move them forward. Because I frankly think that not everybody's going to be able to afford these tools. We got a fairly low price tool, <coughs> but these tools are in the millions of dollars. And if we want everybody to be able to develop ontologies um, and they can't afford the tools, they're not going to be they're not going to be able to participate in this general activity. So if there's some way that we can also promote open source development or I think it'd be great. Right. And I was just raising it as at least a constraint that if we're scoping out and trying to look at uh, impediments or challenges, mm -hmm. um, we can describe this a lot, but eventually we'd have to get down and start creating something that we could act on or use. So. I don't know how much open source is out there, but it clearly would be on our budget. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Given our intellectual, yeah. <laughs> given our intellectual property rights uh, policy at Ontolog, then then almost, we almost have to totally restrict ourselves to uh, open source tools anyway. Yeah. And I can generate things for you as well, you know, uh -huh. just with what I have. Hi, uh, Peter. This is Rex. Can I ask a question? Please. Um, are you, uh, Denise? Are you familiar enough with Protege to say whether it would be useful? I, I'm presuming that it would be, but it's one open source that's available. I think we should look at everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it just, um, I, I don't know that I have worked with that, but um, so I can't speak intelligently to.
to what kind of semantic problem it would solve. But I think we should, you know, part of the exercise should be to look at everything that's out there and try to fit it to <coughs> particular problems we have. Well, I'm, I, the reason why I was asking is that it, it's fairly generic in terms of being able to create ontologies, and it's fairly full-featured, but it's not an inference engine. It can work with inference engines, and it can work with modelers, but it doesn't do that on its own. So since you said that you could possibly do or add some service to it, I'm wondering if, uh, if that might be a way to work around that. Maybe. We'll find out. Uh, one, one other comment I have, I mean, comparing let, uh, the, the, the example Denise gave and what the community's goal is, is uh, one, one difference is that uh, Denise's World Bank job has a, a specific purpose in terms of solving a real problem. Uh, Ontolog as a community does not actually have a real problem to solve. Of course, we can create one and say, let's do this as a use case, or we can create like 20 of those as use cases. Uh, but, but then uh, the, the, the difference is the, 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 uh, this is not going to be deterministic in, in terms that it's an open-ended question for Ontolog and its membership as to uh, because some of the the, the the use the use would be how can we use this uh, exercise to demonstrate all sorts of tools that are available or to provide a, a learning experience for the rest of the community as to what is out there and what is out there is sort of a a, 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 a moving target. Uh, so that becomes difficult, but, but then, of course, that's exactly why we need to model and why we need to, to build ontologies, because uh, the answers are, are not deterministic. I'm thinking, this is Pat again, I'm thinking we also bump up against this, uh, I was thinking of this expressiveness dimension, and when we um, brought Protege in or RDF or any other semantic web type things, or ways to look at, at content and search it. We, we are thinking a little bit, I would imagine, about inferencing with some degree of, of accuracy um, because of the multiple communities that would come in. Um, you know, we, we will build the ontology, and we hope it's as robust as it can be. But uh, I was just thinking that it, it someone mentioned uh, re information retrieval, which can be done a lot of different ways. Um, but the uh, the ontology, I would assume, would would push us up a little higher on that on that line that I that I remember that Leo had, and sort of maybe not first order predicate logic, but something that says you can come in and ask a question, depending on the audience and the different domains we've incorporated, come up with a fairly good answer for people that will help them if, if that's our if our goal is utility and and, uh, and some kind of results orientation I, I think that's um, a primary um, use case that we should model yeah yeah absolutely especially I mean, within the ontolog community this is just a heavy component of uh, formal ontologists in and the fact that, that we just uh, co-organized the Upper Ontology Summit, uh, that's definitely one piece that we need to integrate. I mean, we, we should be looking all the way from, let's say, a, a formal, exomatized Upper Ontology, how it could be extended into our domain ontology, and how that could be used in a maybe even in a, in a foxonomy sense so that we can distribute the work of tagging uh, giving us sort of the, the whole range of uh, technology that is, as an exercise, and in so doing, sort of provide the world an example that how how all these can work together and make sense. If we could achieve that, that would be wonderful. I think one end result of that too. This is Pat. Is that you know in some ways, uh, Ontolog has been um, perhaps a more specialized community for people who have participated and had the context, uh, I've often said, boy, you should go on to the Onlog forum. You know, I really learned a lot from it. 
but there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't have a good entry point into the ontolog forum because they don't bring enough of the uh, starter ideas, so to speak. Uh, and uh, this uh, this project, I think, has aspects of providing service to a wider set of people, clearly. And I think I think I saw Denise had a novice on there or something else. But we we would, of course, now be opening up our uh, our holdings. Uh, to allow more people to come in and be more knowledgeable about ontology. Exactly. Yes. That's why, they, that's why I think the richness of the, of the and the expressiveness or anything else we could do ontologically sound. This is almost like an ontology for ontology's sake um, way, which just makes us so meta. We're just we <laughs> make up a joke about it. <laughs> now. That's why. Um, this is Rex again. I, I, one of one thing that it would be wonderful if we could provide would be that entry point for people to begin to understand ontology and to stop being afraid of it. Because I run into that so often, it just makes me nuts. Yeah, they don't use the O word. You're, right. You've been castigated uh, uh, for uh, for stepping into the, the medieval arts or something. Yes. I'm wondering if Encore might not have an interest too, though. Absolutely. Yes. Right. So. The so we've got Leo uh, is on on the Encore uh, executive uh, or executive committee. So that definitely would be helpful. I mean, if if we want to team up with them in, in some of uh, and, and do some joint activities together. I just think a natural a natural offshoot of this just puts us out into sort of colloquializing um, and and legitimizing ontology as as something that's pragmatic. It may have its sort of strange terms, but it's going to fire up a lot of our, our discovery and, you know, back to the semantic web things. Yes. Anyway. This is Bruce Zorns with Boeing. Hi, Bruce. Hi. Uh, so back on slide 19, where we kind of show an overview of the concepts, um, it would. I work in business intelligence. It would help me to be able to, like, start mapping tooling to this uh, schema. So there's probably some good tools that support concept networks, and there's probably some tooling that supports ontolog topics, rings, that kind of thing. Exactly what we found. Exactly. So, so as an organization, uh, how how do we plan to collaborate, like submit materials, and and then this would be an ongoing thing, right? We'd be updating the presentation, maybe a tooling slide. Hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to get into promoting one particular tool over another without some good reason. I like the open source aspect of it. But to reduce some of the fear and maybe to get some of the buy-in on a polysyllabic word like ontology, uh, we need to be able to relate it to um, tools. Um, excuse me, this is Rex again. Uh, isn't Peter and Denise, isn't uh, the that topic sort of what we're going to be doing in the second part of this period? Yeah, it, it's yes. okay. Uh, maybe that that would be uh, a good juncture to introduce uh, the rest of what we had in mind. Uh, I don't know if everyone here realizes this is actually the kickoff uh, session of a series of events that uh, Ontolog has got uh, planned. Uh, do we? I mean, is anybody unfamiliar with 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 this? Okay, so it looks like everyone realizes. So this is only uh, Denise's talk is the kickoff session for a series which will last the, uh, us for the next two or three months, uh, which we call ontologizing the ontolog body of knowledge. Uh, 
during which this community will explore the what's and the how's of developing a semantically interoperable application using the improved access to our content as a case in point. Uh, so we, we are going to have interspersed uh, invited speakers like Denise's talk today or uh, Patrick DeRusso and, and Jack Park's talk on the 27th and then we have discussion sessions like the one next Thursday where we're going to do, talk about requirements, framing the issues and, and approach in, in from different perspectives with a, from different perspectives with the panel and, and then in between we've got people talking about uh, different architectures different standards, different uh, tools uh, more more examples. I mean, some really bleeding edge, state of the art examples. Like uh, maybe on on May fourth, we've got uh, Adam Chai, who is program director, one of the program directors of the Kalo project uh, at SRI International, uh, who uh, introduced us to how they are managing or engineering that exercise. Uh, Kalo is. The, a DARPA project called Cognitive Agents that Learns and Organizes. So, uh, with, with ontologies that are dynamically reconfiguring and, and so on. So, so it's, it's so st stay tuned for that, this whole series. Peter? Yeah. This is Denise. I apologize. Um, I've just gotten the signal that I have to leave and go to my other meeting. So I apologize for having no, to don't, don't, don't be apologetic. So Thanks. on behalf of the community, let's thank Denise for spending the time uh, to share with us her experience. Okay. Thank, thank you for the opportunity, and I'll we'll talk to you next, next Thursday. I'll be here next Thursday. Yep. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Good presentation. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. So thank you everyone for joining us. So. Uh, We'll look forward to your participation again next Thursday.